Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today here at First Christian Church. Welcome to each of you here in the West Auditorium, to all of you in the East Auditorium as well. Very glad you're here. And uh, to everybody online and everybody at, at Lovington, it's good to have you here. My name is Wayne Kent. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, let's look at some scripture together today, please. Um, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28. So it's the last uh, chapter of the, of the book of Matthew, probably three quarters of the way through the Bible. And uh, well, it's good to have you here all the way around, by all means. So let's start with um, something that all of you know that is, um, you know, you, you have these moments in life where you have the way in which your life gets shaped and you, it kind of impacts you for many years. For me, um, obviously growing up in Australia till we moved from Australia to the U.S. when I was 11, um, and all my family is Australian going back generations to the early 1800s. So um, that forms who I am, of course, and... Uh, I remember sometime when I was about nine or 10, this would be the late 60s, maybe 67, 68, my cousin, who had been drafted by the Australian army, had gone off to Vietnam, just like it was the draft, and the Australians were involved in the war in Vietnam alongside the Americans. He came home from Vietnam, quickly got married, and within a brief period of time, in the little church that we attended, family church, my grandfather was the, was the pastor, and there were maybe 40, 50 people on a good Sunday, uh, Reg and Marion, his wife, stood up to announce that they were going to be missionaries to New Guinea. And New Guinea is the little, back then it was a, a, a protectorate, if you will, a, a territory of Australia. Now it's its own nation. And uh, I'm thinking, oh man, they're really brave. Now, I, I had no, uh, here was my understanding of New Guinea, because with it being just right close to Australia, just north of Australia, um, we had lots of missionaries up there all the time, and uh, 400 different languages in a space about the size of Decatur, not quite, but very small space, 400 different cultures and tribes, and um, my understanding is they were all cannibals, which many of them were, and uh, you would have to go up there, and you'd have to wear a pith helmet. I don't know why you had to wear a pith helmet, but that's probably movies, and uh, my understanding of missions combined, and, but it's true, you would get out in uh, hand-hewn uh, canoes and make your way up the rivers, and uh, there'd be low-hanging branches as the snakes would fall out of the rivers, out of the, sna- out of the trees and everything. And I, I, there was no way I was going to go to New Guinea as a missionary. As a matter of fact, I remember sitting in that church service thinking to myself, I am never going across any body of water to tell anyone about Jesus. <laughs> and yet, here's the Pacific between there and here. Uh, maybe that's a different matter. But my point is that I was, raised, I was raised in a house where overseas mission endeavors were part of our family story. My, my great-grandfather had actually been a missionary in New Guinea at the turn of the 20th century, and my grandmother was born there. And so there's this sense always within our family that world missions were very important. And I want to evaluate that with you today. We're picking up where we left off last week. The same passage, it's known as the Great Commission. It's, it's essentially, we could say that it's Jesus' last instructions to his followers when he says, okay, it's time for, you to you, time for you to now take what you've learned and go and tell others. It's what we read last week where he's saying, listen, I came to earth as Emmanuel, God in the flesh. As a human, I limited my powers and my abilities, my authority, um, I took on a human body. And so in the, in the course of that, I taught you. I've shown you how to live. Then I died. I rose again. And everything's been done. You've been redeemed. The, my blood takes care of everything. And I, 
I am now, the resurrected Jesus is saying, I, have, I am now collecting all my authority again in heaven on, and on earth. And now, as my followers, I'm transporting that authority into you, if you will, or I'm commissioning you with this, to use that authority and to go and tell others. And would you read the passage of Scripture with me then? Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 18. This has been the driving force of the church for 2,000 years. Last few moments before Jesus is ascend, ascends into heaven. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what we looked at last week. Based on that, therefore, now what, here's what you're to do. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So go tell people about me. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's quite clear, there's no, no ifs, ands, or buts, that Jesus expects his followers to evangelize. It's expected that Jesus' followers will tell others of their faith throughout the world. This is his great commission, and he expects us to evangelize. He expects us to tell people locally who don't know him, this is how you come to know Jesus Christ, and we're supposed to then take that message and go to the entire world. It's all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. So we go then to both Decatur and our community, and we'll deal with that next week, how we manage and use this commission locally. We'll deal with that next week. But for today, we are also to recognize that we go outside of Decatur. We go from this place, and in increasing circles, we hit. we go to the whole world, if you will. Now, that evangelizing, that telling others of people, can take many forms. It can be through education or medical missions. It can be through compassionate care in places of great desperation. We ought to take the attitude, how Jesus lived and the way in which he lived, we ought to take that attitude and that care to those in need. Why? Yes, to take care of their needs, but also to tell them the story of Jesus. So both care and telling are necessary in world missions. It's an interesting thing when Jesus says to go to all the nations um, that you, we don't see when we read when it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And we, we don't really get what he's going on about there. But if you could go back and look at the actual language, the Greek form there is that Jesus says to go to all nations. It's ethna. Does that sound like ethnic? So what Jesus is saying when he's saying nations is not countries how we think of countries. You know, we think of countries as the U.S. and China and India. And our modern countries are defined by arbitrarily drawn lines, politically drawn lines on a map. But Jesus is speaking about more than just go to every country. He's saying go to every ethnic group. And an ethnic group is defined by, as this way, it's the people who all speak the same language, with the same basic lifestyle customs, sometimes, usually, the same skin color, but not always. And b biblical scholars, to describe this word ethna, they, and this ethnic understanding of, of a, we, we use this term people groups. And so ethnic groups, people groups, are not bound by modern day borders. For example, think of the Maasai, in, um, who are our mission partners in Africa. The Maasai all speak Ma as their um, native tribal language. On the map you can see the Maasai occupy the area predominantly for the most part that you see in red. Most of them not only speak Ma, but they also speak Swahili, the common language of Africa. And, and they also have to learn English once they go to school. So they're very, very incredibly 
educated, if you will, about how to manage life. And there are lots and lots of um, skill sets when it comes to language. But notice that some of them live in Tanzania and some of them live in Kenya. We've just, you know, the Europeans drew a borderline there that the Maasai go, well, okay, that's fine if you want to draw the border there, but this is where our ethnic group is. And our congregation has had a presence in Maasai land, if you will, for more than 30 years now. We have a couple with boots on the ground from our congregation, Lynn and Dori Kazir. I mean, Lynn's father grew up in this church from a child. And then Lynn grew up in this church, and Dory came and was part of the staff of this church in the 1980s. They met, they got married, and uh, they have gone from our congregation, and they are in Kenya full-time. And since they moved there, we've sent dozens of other missionaries, short-term missionaries, missionaries that are, they're, 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 the language missionary would be last maybe 10 to 12 days. And they go on short-term mission, short-term mission trips, and we have all kinds of success stories. Our most recent one is the uh, story of how we came behind a young little boy that was about 18 months, 18 months old, when our missionaries, who were the woods at the time, when they first met this family, and uh, we followed this little boy throughout his life. He's now in his, uh, coming up in his 30s. And it's a story that, by God's grace, he is the first Maasai physician. And he just graduated from medical school in December. And uh, with your prayerful support and our finances, we've taken this young man who grew up, can I just say it straight up, in a hut made from cow dung, dirt floor. I mean, we're talking way out in the bush, grass roof. I mean, taking care of animals like his forefathers have done for thousands of years. And look where he is today. Take a look at the screens and you'll discover a really cool story. Gary and Judy Woods are missionaries to Kenya. First Christian Church began partnering with them in the 1980s. One of the first families they led to Christ had a young son named Daniel. Daniel began his education with a chalkboard nailed to a tree for lessons provided by the Woods. He was bright, learned quickly, eventually became a high school science teacher. A group from First Christian met Daniel in 2010. We learned Daniel grew up in a cow dung hut, became a teacher, but dreamed of something more, becoming a medical doctor. He wanted to bring modern medicine to his Maasai people. The people of First Christian Church displayed generosity during a giving campaign. $60,000 was given, covering all of Daniel's medical school costs. Dr. Daniel Koitatoy completed medical school in December 2019. A First Christian Church team attended the celebration. Dr. Daniel is bringing desperately needed medical care to his people, the Maasai. It's hands-on ministry given in Jesus' name. In the future, First Christian Church's Kenyan medical teams will be led by Dr. Dan, a Kenyan leading Americans. It is a blessing to be part of a church that sees a need and meets it for the glory of God. There's one line in that video that I think is important. What's happened there, there uh, because of our work and cares, notice we said that our medical team is going to be led by a Kenyan in the future. That's already taking place in the, in the teams we've sent in more recent years. Uh, can, can you just congratulate yourselves for what's happened here and say praise the Lord for this, all right? 
So that, that work continues with uh, Lynn and Dory Kazir. They'll be, they are home, or they're not home, they, are, they live in Kenya, they are back in the U.S., I always say that, but their home is in Kenya. They are back in the U.S. this weekend, and uh, incidentally, just it so happened as we were planning this, they're here today, and if you'd like to stop and talk with them, they're going to be in the lobby, and you'll learn about what we've been doing in Maasai land for the last 30 years. Because here's what's happening. The Maasai, through your influence, are becoming followers of Jesus Christ. We are seeing Matthew 28 become a reality. That ethnic group this, are becoming followers of Jesus Christ and there are baptisms in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's just one group. You know, there are all kinds of different ethnic groups, of course. We, um, for example, you, you could say that we have the the, the, the Polish people who moved from Poland and maybe have found a home in Chicago and they still speak Polish and they're, they need to know the story of Jesus Christ because their ethnic group is different than the Poles in, 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 in Poland. You've got the people of the coastal towns of North Carolina. You know, you go out in some of the little islands off the coast of North Carolina. The first language that those people speak is often not English. There's an, an ancient or an ancient, a, a long time language that is not English at all and that's what they learned first and they are a different ethnic group if you will than the rest of the United States and so we have the Native Americans here who all have their own ethnic groups and you get the idea so when Jesus says to go to ethna to all nations we go to all people now missiologists who study missions have identified how many different ethnic groups there are in the world how many of them have heard the story of Jesus and how many have not and they refer to these as reached people groups and unreached people groups and we have people groups who have heard the story of Jesus and those who have not. Now, it's not pl- implying that all the reached people groups, that everybody there is a Christian, no. You could say that the, um, the English-speaking sort of Americanized, I-, I don't know how to say this, but there's sort of the typical American, if you will, that we have unreached people groups in America, but that you could say that for the most part, most Americans would have at least had access to the story of Jesus Christ. We are a reached people group, even though not everybody follows Jesus. But there are many groups where they have not heard this story at all. In fact, to help you understand the task in front of us, as we obey Jesus' commission to make disciples in all nations, take a look at this chart. The green represents the number of reached people groups. Notice that there are 17,000 total groups. Look at the number of unreached people groups. That means that there is nobody, virtually nobody, in those groups who know the story of Jesus in any way. In other words, 7,000 people groups of the 17,000 people groups around the world, different ethnic understandings, 7,000 have not yet heard the story. Here's where they are located. Here's a map of where all those people groups are located. It's, um, again, the red equals the places where they are unreached. You can notice that the majority of them are in northern Africa, India, uh, China, and moving up into the former Soviet Union. The green represent the places where, where the story of Jesus Christ has been told. There are some red spaces within North America where there are specific individual ethnic groups that have not heard Jesus Christ, the story of Jesus Christ yet. So how do we tell all these people about Jesus? We've got, we started with 17,000, we're down to seven now. How do we tell the 7,000 ethnic groups that they need to know of Jesus Christ? 
they, they need, all need to hear his story. And, and they have the opportunity then, as free will, they can say, I'm not interested. Fair enough. But how do we get the story to them? Well, obviously, people go. Missionaries go to other ethnic groups. Some of them go as theological workers, you know, people like pastors, if you will. But others go as Christian engineers and doctors and technicians and musicians. Sometimes missionaries go using skill sets that are more easily, that more easily adapt to the needs of the people because we've got to get across the political borders. So you've got to figure out what kind of visa can I get to get into that nation? It's hard these days in a lot of places to go and say, I want to come be a Christian missionary. And in some places uh, where you just can't do that. We have a couple from our church in Central Asia, in a nation where we say, they just couldn't show up and say we're gonna be missionaries. So they go with other skill sets. Here's what's the truth though. Regardless of how it happens, it all starts with getting Jesus' story into their language. Into the, for, if we want unreached people groups to know of Jesus Christ, the mission starts with Bible translation. And I'd like to introduce you then today to a longtime friend. Jan and I go back to um, partnership to the days when Les and I were working in Eastern Europe in the 1980s. Uh, before I stepped into pastoral ministry, and Jan's going to come and help us understand it a little bit. Would you welcome Jan Barjuk to us to the service today? <laughs> so, can I just say, Jan and I—they said make sure you guys stand together, close together, so we can get you on the camera. So we're just going to stand like this all the way through this interview. Okay, that'd be really I, weird, wouldn't it? I even offered that we can speak to the same microphone. <laughs> So, so, Jan, who do you work for and what do you guys do? Uh, I work for, the organization is called Pioneer Bible Translators. We're based in Dallas, and, and my title is European Partnerships uh, Coordinator. And, and last year we uh, established PBT Poland, actually, so, so we can recruit people in Poland and European Union. So, in other words, so you can have missionaries from your from Eastern Europe, go to other places in Eastern some Europe? Some people already go, like in Ukraine, we already have some people that are being trained, and some are already going to some countries that uh, I probably can't tell you, but uh, uh, so I know Americans are very mission-minded, but uh, our goal now is also to teach other nations to send their own missionaries, so, so the burden won't be only on Americans, but we can partner with other Christians. And what's your role specifically? Because I know you work with a particular group in Eastern Europe. Uh, I started working with uh, uh, people in Ukraine, with the gypsies, uh, Roma people we call them. Um, and then we moved a little bit to Poland. And, 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 but in, in Ukraine, let's say we, uh, PBT actually, let me, let me go back a little bit. We have 97 uh, projects, different language projects. We translate the Bible uh, for 97 different ethno Ethnic groups. Uh, and, and some of those groups are in Ukraine, and we're translating uh, four different dialects for the gypsies, for the So the Roma. gypsies of, of the Ukraine have four different languages, if you would. Not language, dialects. Yeah, there could be a little bit more, and even Poland is very close to Ukraine. They have their own dialect that it's a lot different. It's called like Baltic languages, Roma languages. And so your, your organization is very much, mission organizations are working very much with this understanding of ethno. Yes, yes. Uh, I remember when a few years ago we were talking about, uh, our president was talking about the, the scripture in Revelation chapter 7, and that's the same word when you talk about uh, people, nations, groups, 
standing around God's throne, uh, that, that's the same the word. The end of time. End of time. That's the same word for Etna, for different groups. I, I, I love this idea that we're going to say, okay, we're going to go to all nations, and then the result of that will be that when we get to heaven, all these different nations will be represented worshiping God around the, around the throne room. Yeah, that, that will be actually amazing. When I went to Poland last time, I talked to the Polish people in churches. I said, wouldn't it be this amazing for some of those ethna groups one day around God's throne come to you, Polish people or American people, and just thank you for, for the Bible that you translated for them? So we have, an, we have English Bibles. I, I've lost track of how many different translations we have. Do you have a sense of that? Uh, I think we have over 100 different translations uh, in, in English, you know, there's some in Britain, Great Britain, some other places, but we have over 100 different translations. It's hard to even choose, like you go to the Christian bookstore and you don't know, you should choose for the children, for ladies, for men, for, but this is just the, the same version maybe, but different Bibles, but we have uh, Bibles translated word for word. Uh, some people are like more dynamic, a little bit more meaning. Uh, sometimes it's very difficult to translate uh, when, when there are no the same words for, for the meaning that we have in Hebrew or, or in Greek. So talk to me about um, when you guys go and you start to tell people the story of Jesus Christ and they have no Bible, no written, sometimes they don't even have a written language to start with, but after you figure out how to write their language, how, how, do you, how do you go about this business of understanding they have no way to hear the story of Jesus in their language? Uh, it, it is sometimes tricky, you, you know, and I think you have to get to know the culture a little bit. You have to get to know the people before you can even uh, try to uh, make them understand. And, and uh, some places we, we may go that people already believe in Jesus, but they just don't have their Bible. And like... Uh, for instance, you know, the, the Roma people in Ukraine, they will sing in their own language, they will pray in their own language, uh, they will talk in their own language, but then when they start reading the Bible during the service, uh, they have to use the Russian Bible or Ukrainian Bible, they don't have their own Bible. Now they have already uh, Gospel of Luke translated in their own language, so we could uh, print actually calendars like each year with the scripture in their own language they can uh, hang on their wall and read the scripture in their own language so it's amazing also uh, you know tool for evangelism I, i'm wondering in the former soviet union where it used to be that all the kids had to learn russian mm-hmm. what happens now they do they still have to learn russian to read no you, i don't know if you're aware during soviet union uh times and and he knows he used to go there uh, you should hear some of the stories he has. And uh, There were probably more than 67 different languages within the Soviet Union. Uh, and now, you know, when the Soviet Union collapsed, some of those uh, languages are gone. They're not part of uh, Russia anymore. And some of them don't even care to speak Russian. They, they want to use their own language. Uh, but they don't have a Bible in their own language. Uh, and if you give them the Russian Bible, they'll say, why should I read the aggressor's Bible, my aggressor's Bible? Why should I believe in God that it's our aggressor's God because the Bible is in Russian? And then they would, they would ask a question, why should I even believe in God who doesn't speak my language because I don't have a Bible in my language? So what's it like when they don't have the Bible in their language? Uh, 
Talk about love language. Yeah, let's say, for example, in about uh, speaking about love. When I tell you, you'll be like, huh? Uh, when I tell you, uh, probably only my wife will understand and she'll feel good, hopefully. <laughs> that I love you. <laughs> but when I, when I tell Hang on, you... that's two different <laughs> languages he said I love you in, right? Yeah, that was, first was Russian, second was in Polish. Uh, and he may understand that in Polish. She used to come to Poland every year, sometimes a few times a year. But when, you, when I say I love you, you understand. When you say I love you to your wife, to your spouse, you know, that's going to make really good feeling here. Uh, and, and so when God wanted to say I love you, he gave us uh, his word. This is like a love letter. Um, everyone knows John 3.16, right? Uh, for God so loved the world. And, and if you don't have this in your own language, it will be like, you'll hear, it will be like nothing, right? How would you feel if the John 3.16, that love verse was not, was not in your Bible? Because your Bible would not be translated, you would not be able to understand. How would you feel if your entire Bible was like this? Every page. Uh, you wouldn't be able to uh, hear God's voice, God's love. You wouldn't be able to understand his love. You wouldn't know who Jesus is. You wouldn't know the prophecies. You wouldn't know about his death, his resurrection, about his coming again. Uh, you wouldn't know anything. I, um, I remember the first time you showed uh, Les and I were eating with him at O'Charlie's, oh, four or five years ago, and he showed me that Bible, and I, I was, we were so blessed. And there are people in the world who don't know the story of Jesus yet. Can you thank John for giving us a great illustration? I can just uh, have one more thing. One more thing, yeah, by all means. Our president is not going to do it. Polish president is not going to do it. Uh, churches will have to do it. Uh, and, and you have to pray for, for those people. You have to pray for missionaries. Mother Teresa said something one time. Uh, she said, some people give by going. And there are many people that go, they sacrifice so much. They, they miss their families. They, they do many things uh, in dangerous places. Some people go, uh, give by going, but some people go by giving. Uh, you can give your time, you can pray, you can use your finances to support, uh, but stand with missionaries, stand with God's word and pray for the different etna. You sure you don't do one more thing? <laughs> By the way, Jan and his wife will be out in the lobby along with the gazers if you'd like to meet them afterwards. I want to, just before we close, I want to give you one more thing about this word ethna. Uh, because when Jesus said he assigned his disciples the responsibility of going to every ethnic group, there's another time in his teaching when he used that word that I think you're going to find very interesting. One day his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, when's the second coming? When, when, when are you going to, I didn't use the word second coming, but they used the word, when are you going to be fully, in, in, fully on your throne? When are you gonna be, when's your kingdom going to come into play? We would say, when is the second coming coming? 
And this is what Jesus said. He said, at the end of time, as I return, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then he goes, this gospel of the kingdom we preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. You know what word that is again? There's that ethno word again. And then the end will come. Jesus didn't give us any clue or cue about his second coming except for this one. He said, if you want to know when I'm going to come back, it's going to be when all nations have heard the story of Jesus Christ. All ethno. And you might find that disheartening and say, Wayne, you said there are 17,000 different people groups and there are 7,000 that still need to hear the story of Jesus Christ. We seem to be a long way off, but be, not really. Sort of, but not really. Think of this. In the 1980s, there were 11,000 unreached people groups. So you could think of it this way. From Jesus' birth, move forward 1,980 years, you go from 17,000 people groups to 11,000 people groups. So we drop it in 1,980 years, we drop 6,000 people groups. But now, with the use of computers and modern technology, and it doesn't take six weeks on a ship to get to go somewhere and everything, you know where we are now? We're down to 7,000. We went... 6,000 groups in the first 1980 years of Christian, the Christian church, and then in the last 30 years, we've now knocked off another four. As a matter of fact, here's what, you, here's what you'll be pleased to know, that the 10 Bible translating and mission organizations have banded together to think about, in an intentional way, how can we work together to make certain, if we learn something, we can pass it off to you. Bible translation is more reachable now, and all those 10 organizations working together have us on target to reach all unreached people groups by 2033. There are some five and a half million Christian missionaries working around the world. Hear me, when I, hear me clearly. Not five and a half million Americans working around the world. Five and a half million Christians going from Africa to Asia, from Asia to Africa, from, from the U.S. to Eastern Europe. And, and they're sending them here. And it's this, this, they're not all from Western countries. And the task of... Fulfilling Jesus' great commission is not reserved from the, for those from a Western background. That means in 13 years from now, you know what? The truth of the matter is, I'm not one to predict Jesus' second coming. I want to be very clear about that. that. The second coming of Jesus Christ is a core theology of Christian faith, but part of that core theology says we don't say when Jesus is coming. You could come tomorrow. But Jesus said, this gospel is going to be preached to all ethna, and then I'm coming. 2033, we believe, will be so close they're calling it complete, basically. So I would suspect, friends, we're going to see the completion of this project in majority of us are going to be alive. I'm ready. And while I wait, I'm compelled to be part of a sending congregation because Jesus said when, he's, when his workers accept the task of evangelism, then that will bring the end of time and that'd be cool. And I just keep wondering, what's going to be the final catalyst that says, okay, now's the moment. Here we go. That's one reason why I want to be part of a sending congregation. The second reason is quite simply this. Jesus said, go. If I'm going to allow Jesus Christ to be the leader of my life, then I've got to say, how am I going? So I imagine some of you are saying, okay, that's great, Wayne. We've got five and a half million people traveling around the world telling us about Jesus, and, and I don't know what to do with that. Well, let me give you some ways in which you could hold on to your responsibility of the Great Commission. First of all, be informed. Your relationship with Christ is not about you only. 
Right before he went to heaven, Jesus said, go. And part of that going includes knowing more about our world. There are people beyond central Illinois who need to know the story of Jesus. Are you in any way informed of what their story is? Or is it like we've just become myopic and we're going to go about our daily routines only? Fair enough if other people do that, but if we're the people of Christ, we are called to be informed about those who don't know him yet. Secondly, pray. Jesus once told his disciples, they're walking along a a path, and he says, I want you to look up, get your eyes, and the language he uses, look around you, the fields are ready for harvest. He says, and pray that God will send workers into the harvest. I would suggest that too many of us give no prayerful thought to those who are far from Christ except maybe when a preacher brings a message like today. And I'm going to tell you, friend, that's not good. Get informed. Do some research. As a follower of Jesus Christ, don't be ignorant. Instead, perhaps you could focus on one unreached people group for a season. Perhaps you could add the Kaziers or Jan and his wife to to your daily prayer list to say, hey, I'm going to pray that this people group, this particular ethnic group will come to know Christ. Thirdly, Let's continue to be people who send. And that's a huge aspect of our congregation's ministry. Yes, we have a substantial, well-founded and well-resourced ministry to our community. We're going to continue to do that. We'll look at that next week. But we also want to send people from our church to overseas missions. Prayerfully think, prayerfully evaluate. How could your pocketbook change the eternal destiny of someone you may never meet until all Christians see Jesus face to face? How cool, as Jan said, would it be when somebody walks up to you and says, hey, um, in heaven here, uh, we're standing around the throne room of, in the throne room of God, and, and I'm here because you sent someone. Someone came because you never met me till now. I'm up for that. I'm here in heaven because you gave sacrificially. And then lastly today, maybe Go. Perhaps you should be one of our short-term missions teams that goes to Kenya or Cuba or Central Asia. Go and discover and be impacted. Or perhaps you should go for a longer period of time. I'm so honored that Lynn and Dory from our congregation are overseas and Rav Sean and Lisa. But here's the question I have for you today. Who is the next person from First Christian Church? Who is the next family from First Christian Church that will take on the Great Commission in that way and say, we're willing, called by God, to go where he calls us to go, and it means leaving. Young people, I know you want to impact the world, the poor, the disenfranchised, the needy. May I tell you that missions is a profound way that you can rethink the plans you have for your career. Perhaps you're 45 and you're halfway through your career. You've got all the training and all the experience now. Could it be that you could make a dramatic shift and complete your career in a nation of need? Perhaps you're retired. You know, mission agencies have programs that allow you to take your skill set to nations for shorter stints. You can go be part of a team for three months or two years. Each translation team needs accountants and IT people and engineers and construction crews and so on. Could you do that? As a matter of fact, I learned last night from the Kaziers, they're in need of an accountant to work for their team based in the U.S. You could be on a Kenyan team doing good work for God and still live here. How cool would that be? Here's what I know. Jesus said to go. And we must do that. This is my prayer. That we will be a congregation that continues to say, man, we're going to lift the cause of Jesus Christ very high. We're not going to be ashamed in any way. We're going to lift our banner high for the sake of Jesus Christ without shame. We're going to lift Jesus' name high. And we're going to say, Lord, 
From age to age you reign and your kingdom has no end. You are the only king forever. We lift you high. You are the only king forever and you are victorious, God. There is a day coming when this whole stuff called earth is going to come to an end. Now, in the meanwhile, I like it. I like being here. I'm not an escapist. I'm not looking to just get out of here. But on the other hand, if it's only 70 years long, folks, I want something more than that. And when I get to the other side, I want to make certain I'm taking you and some people I don't know with me. You up for that? I invite you to do the same thing. Let's be certain that as we lift high the banner of Christ, we consider how it works in places and how we can do that beyond our local community. Let's pray together. Father, uh, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you have indeed blessed us, uh, blessed me with a congregation that is willing to go many, many places. I think of the teams that we've sent to Kenya and got kids going to Cuba this this summer and what we do in Central Asia. All of that, Lord, is really good and we thank you for it. But Father, we're not going to just rest on our laurels. We're not just going to say, hey, it's, we've done all this and now all is, is good. No, for, Lord. I pray that through the work of Jesus Christ within us, that we will continue to be a congregation that steps into new opportunities. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today who... Uh, needs to take the next step and maybe do a little bit of research or a little bit of study on, you know, maybe he or she is wanting to go overseas and there's this tug and, Lord, we're asking for our congregation to continue to be ascending church. Locally, yes. But let's not be my, let, we don't, I don't want to be myopic, God, stuck only in where we are. We want to look up, our, our, look up and see the fields that are ready for harvest. Give us a vision that goes beyond who we are, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.